0: Welcome! You're listening to a recording provided for the use of the blind and print-impaired. Materials or items read on AirZLA are the copyright property of the original authors and publishers. No unauthorized use or duplication is permitted. Hi, I'm Mike Paul. Welcome to this podcast of articles from Aris Technica, a presentation of AirZLA. This is episode 17, recorded September 16, 2022. We have five articles for you today. We'll explore California's legal case for how Amazon ruined online shopping, examine the reasons why it's been a quiet hurricane season this year, see if the EU is cool with letting Google bundle its search product with Android, and learn how AI is being used in France to reveal hidden and taxable swimming pools. But first, our lead story selected especially for our Airs LA listeners. Our first article is by Jennifer Oulette, published on August 31st, 2022. 19th century art form revived to make tactile science graphics for blind people. In the 19th century, an art form known as lithophanes was all the rage in Western Europe. These thin engravings were usually made from translucent materials like porcelain or wax. When backlit, a glowing 3D image would appear that would change its features in response to variations in the light source. Now, researchers have revived this art form to create tactile graphics to illustrate scientific data that glow with high resolution. According to a recent paper published in the journal Science Advances, These lithophanes are accessible to sighted and visually impaired people, making them a universal visualization tool for scientific data. This research is an example of art making science more accessible and inclusive. Art is rescuing science from itself, said co-author Brian Shaw, a biochemist at Baylor. The data and imagery of science, for example, the stunning images coming from the new James Webb telescope, are inaccessible to people who are blind. We show, however, that thin translucent tactile graphics, called lithophanes, can make all of this imagery accessible to everyone, regardless of eyesight. As we like to say, data for all. The word lithophane derives from the Greek litho, stone or rock, and phaning, to cause to appear, popularly translated as light in stone. The art form's roots may date back to ancient China, as many as 1,000 years before the Tang dynasty. Historical sources describe paper-thin bowls with hidden decorations. But to date, no actual lithophanes are known to have been in China before 1800. Exactly who perfected the process of making lithophanes is still debated among historians. The common 19th-century process involved etching a 3D design into a thin sheet of translucent wax or porcelain using traditional relief and intaglio printmaking techniques. More light would shine through the parts of the carving where the wax was thinnest. These lithophanes were between 1 of an inch to a quarter inch thick, They were displayed as plaques, hung in windows or in front of shields with lit candles behind them as a light source. Lithophanes could also serve as nightlights, fireplace screens, tea warmers, or ornaments engraved with erotic images. American industrialist Samuel Colt filled his Hartford, Connecticut home with more than 100 lithophanes and commissioned 111 lithophane versions of a photograph of himself to give to friends and associates. The technique fell out of favor after the invention of photography, but the advent of 3D printing has revived interest. Today, lithophanes are typically made with plastic, 3D printed from any 2D image that has been converted to a 3D topograph, according to Shaw and his co-authors, which they did with free online software. Four of those co-authors have been blind since birth, or childhood, yet still successfully completed their PhDs. But they are rare examples. Finding a way to create universal, tactile science graphics that both blind and sighted individuals can use would remove a long-standing barrier that has kept many visually impaired people out of the sciences. The visualization of scientific concepts is systematic in both introductory and advanced courses and leads to considerable educational barriers for students with blindness or low vision, Kristen and Gary Patty, both chemists at Washington University in St. Louis, wrote in an accompanying commentary. A standard biochemistry textbook, for instance, contains over 1,000 illustrations, many of which depict molecular structures— Without an understanding of basic chemical principles, it is challenging for students to pursue advanced careers in adjacent fields or to engage in scientific research. There are existing technologies to help visually impaired graduate students in the sciences. Braille, tactile models, candy-like, molecular models that can be sensed with the tongue and lips, and text-to-audio models and translators, for instance. The Patties specifically cite tactile swell forms in their commentary, which involves heating a special kind of paper so that regions with black ink or toner swell up like a foam. Swell forms can't always differentiate some key details topologically, however. Further, current graphics and assistive technologies in the chemical sciences fall short of providing a single, high-resolution format that can be used by both individuals with blindness and individuals with sight, the Patties wrote. In a classroom setting, this lack of a universal design format complicates the interactions between students who must learn from different sources of information. In a research laboratory, it limits collaboration because scientists with blindness and scientists with vision cannot discuss or evaluate data in an identical format. Lithophane's offer a potential solution. Shaw et al. created lithophane versions of textbook illustrations, gel electropherograms, micrographs, electronic spectrography data, and mass spectrometry data for their study. They then recruited 360 participants for three independent groups, sighted people, blind people, and sighted people who were blindfolded for the experiments. All were asked to respond to specific technical questions related to each lithophane graphic to determine the accuracy of responses across all three groups. The results showed a 96.7% accuracy among the blind subjects for all five lithophanes, compared to 92.2% accuracy for the sighted participants and 79.8% accuracy for the sighted but blindfolded participants. The results suggest that lithophanes are a good form of scientific visualization for sighted and blind scientists. You can look at this, and it looks exactly like what I feel, said Hobie Wedler, a theoretical chemist and CEO of the Wedland Group in Petaluma, California, who has been blind since birth. I've never felt a mass speck. I never thought I'd be able to talk through an analytical data set like this. The sky is the limit here. The authors envision a day when traditional PowerPoint slides used in scientific talks, for instance, can be converted into lithophanes, with those in the audience holding the graphics in their hands like playing cards. The neat thing about tactile graphics that light up with picture-perfect resolution is that everything I can see with my eyes, another person who is blind can feel with their fingers, said Shaw. So it makes all of the high-resolution imagery and data accessible and shareable, regardless of eyesight. We can sit around with anyone, blind or sighted, and talk about the exact same piece of data or image. Our second article is by Ashley Bellinger, published on September 14th, 2022. California says Amazon ruined online shopping, sues it for driving up prices. Amazon is again under fire for its policies, allegedly forbidding its online retailers from selling their products for lower prices on other websites and retail platforms. Critics say this has led to years of higher prices for consumers instead of allowing markets to determine fair prices. Last year, the District of Columbia sued Amazon for the same reason and lost in court in March 2022. But then in April the Department of Justice issued a statement in support of D.C.'s case, and shortly after, D.C. filed to appeal this August. Now, California Attorney General Rob Bonta has piled on more pressure, announcing a lawsuit against Amazon for allegedly blocking price competition in California, too. Previously, an Amazon spokesperson told Politico regarding the D.C. lawsuit that Sellers set their own prices for the products they offer in our store. The spokesperson suggested that without Amazon's commitment to highlighting competitively priced items above others, prices in the market would go up, not decrease, as critics suggest. Today, an Amazon spokesperson provided ours with a similar statement about the new case. Quoting, Similar to the D.C. Attorney General, whose complaint was dismissed by the courts, the California Attorney General has it exactly backwards, Amazon's spokesperson said. Sellers set their own prices for the products they offer in our store. Amazon takes pride in the fact that we offer low prices across the broadest selection, and like any store, we reserve the right not to highlight offers to customers that are not priced competitively. The relief the AG seeks would force Amazon to feature higher prices to our customers, oddly going against core objectives of antitrust law. Bonta disagrees with Amazon. He said in his press release that Amazon's agreements thwart the ability of other online retailers to compete, contributing to Amazon's dominance in the online retail marketplace and harming merchants and consumers through inflated fees and higher prices. The reality is, many of the products we buy online would be cheaper if market forces were left unconstrained, Bonta said. With today's lawsuit, we're fighting back. His lawsuit filed today asks the San Francisco Superior Court to issue an order that stops Amazon's anti-competitive behavior and recovers the damages to California consumers and the California economy. Beyond just prohibiting Amazon from anti-competitive practices, Bonta wants Amazon to compensate for the harms to consumers through increased prices, an amount that has yet to be determined. A California Department of Justice spokesperson told ours that the amount will be determined by the court, but the harm we're alleging is significant. To think about the size, you might want to consider what it means if every Californian has paid even just a little more for every product they purchased online over the span of a decade. How is California's case different from D.C.'s? Bonta posted the new complaint lobbied against Amazon, which suggests that because nearly 75% of consumers go directly to Amazon for all online purchases... Merchants have no choice but to sell on Amazon. But because retailers alleged that the cost of selling items on Amazon is higher than on other platforms, including their own websites, Bunta said the terms of retailer agreements with Amazon limit their ability to sell items at a lower cost on platforms with lower seller fees. Bonta cited an e-commerce consultant who confirmed retailers could sell items for lower fees on sites like Walmart or eBay. The result is a scenario where consumers are denied opportunities to access products at cheaper rates. At the furthest extreme, Bonta said that if Amazon catches retailers breaking the agreement, retailers can face sanctions like decreased visibility of their items in product search results, and even the possibility of termination or suspension. The DOJ is apparently on Bonta's side. In its statement of support to reopen D.C.'s case against Amazon, the DOJ said that the D.C. Superior Court erred in its judgment dismissing the case, partly because DOJ said it relied on inapplicable case law. If left uncorrected, the court's ruling could jeopardize the enforcement of antitrust law, DOJ warned. Not inserting its own judgment, DOJ recommended the D.C. court reconsider whether D.C. met its burden to prove that Amazon's retailer agreements are unreasonable. Six months ago, Amazon seemingly cleared this hurdle, but this next round of legal battles could prove more challenging, especially with the DOJ and another state's legal team involved. As D.C. kicks off its appeal process, Bonta, in today's filing, asked the San Francisco Superior Court for a jury trial. We hope that the California court will reach the same conclusion as the D.C. court and dismiss this lawsuit promptly, Amazon's spokesperson told ours. The third article is by Eric Berger, published on September eleventh, 2022. This should be the absolute peak of hurricane season, but it's dead quiet out there. To state the obvious, this has been an unorthodox Atlantic hurricane season. Everyone from the U.S. agency devoted to studying weather, oceans, and the atmosphere, the National Ocean and Atmospheric Administration, or NOAA, to the most highly regarded hurricane professionals, predicted a season with above-normal to well-above-normal activity. For example, NOAA's outlook for the 2022 Atlantic hurricane season, which runs from June 1st to November 30th, predicted a 65% chance of an above-normal season, a 25% chance of a near-normal season, and a 10% chance of a below-normal season. The primary factor behind these predictions was an expectation that La Niña would persist in the Pacific Ocean, leading to atmospheric conditions in the tropical Atlantic more favorable to storm formation and intensification. La Niña has persisted, but the storms still have not come in bunches. All Quiet To date, The Atlantic has had five named storms, which is not all that far off normal activity, as measured by climatological averages from 1991 to 2020. Normally, by now, the Atlantic would have recorded eight tropical storms and hurricanes that were given names by the National Hurricane Center. The disparity is more significant when we look at a metric for the duration and intensity of storms, known as accumulated cyclone energy. By this more telling measurement, the 2022 season has a value of 29.6, which is less than half of the normal value through Saturday, 60.3. Perhaps what is the most striking about this season is that we are now at the absolute peak of hurricane season, and there is simply nothing happening. Although the Atlantic season begins on June 1st, it starts slowly, with maybe a storm here or there in June, and often a quiet July before the deep tropics get rolling in August. Typically, about half of all activity occurs in the 14 weeks prior to September 10th, and then in a mad headlong rush, the vast majority of the remaining storms spin up before the end of October. It's still entirely possible that the Atlantic Basin, which includes the Atlantic Ocean, Gulf of Mexico, and Caribbean Sea, produces a mad cap finish, we're just not seeing any signs of it right now. There are no active systems at the moment, and the National Hurricane Center is tracking just one tropical wave that will move off the African coast into the Atlantic Ocean in the coming days. It has a relatively low chance of development, and none of the global models anticipate much from the system, our best global models show about a 20-30% to 30% chance of a tropical depression developing anywhere in the Atlantic during the next 10 days. This is the exact opposite of what we normally see this time of year, when the tropics are typically lit up like a Christmas tree. The reason for this is because September offers a window where the Atlantic is still warm from the summertime months, and we typically see some of the lowest wind shear values in storm-forming regions. What went wrong? So, what has happened this year to cause a quiet season, at least so far? A detailed analysis will have to wait until after the season, but to date we've seen a lot of dust in the atmosphere, which has choked off the formation of storms. Additionally, upper level winds in the atmosphere have generally been hostile to storm formation, basically shearing off the top of any developing tropical systems. While it looks like the seasonal forecast for 2022 will probably go bust, it's important to understand the difference between that activity and the forecasting of actual storms. Seasonal forecasting is still a developing science. While it is typically more right than wrong, predicting specific weather patterns such as hurricanes months in advance is far from an established science. By contrast, forecasters have made huge gains in predicting the tracks of tropical storms and hurricanes that have already formed. And while not as significantly, our ability to predict intensification or weakening has also been improving. Since Hurricane Andrew in 1992, the most destructive storm ever to hit Florida, the National Hurricane Center's track forecast accuracy has improved by 75% and its intensity forecasting by 50 percent. This is due to several factors, including more powerful supercomputers capable of crunching through higher resolution forecast models, a better understanding of the physics of tropical systems, and better tools for gathering real-time data about atmospheric conditions and feeding that data into forecast models more quickly. Our fourth article is by Ron Amadeo, published on September 14, 2022. EU upholds Google's 4.1 billion euro fine for bundling search with Android. Google has lost its latest battle with European Union regulators. This morning, the EU General Court upheld Google's record fine for bundling Google Search and Chrome with Android. The initial ruling was reached in July 2018 with a 4.34 billion euro fine attached, and while that number has been knocked down to 4.125 billion euro, or $4.13 billion, it's still the EU's biggest fine ever. EU takes issue with the way Google licenses Android and associated Google apps, like the Play Store, to manufacturers. The Play Store and Google Play services are needed to build a competitive smartphone, but getting them from Google requires signing a number of contracts that the EU says stifles competition. The Commission zeroed in on three unlawful restrictions. First, Google bundles Google Chrome and Search with Android. The company requires Android manufacturers to sign a Mobile Application Distribution Agreement, or META, Contract, which says that manufacturers that want to include one Google product must include a large collection of them and make Google the default. There are even requirements for where icons and widgets should be placed. The second unlawful restriction is the Contract's Anti-Fragmentation Agreement, which says that anyone who creates a fork of Android, even as a separate product or under a different brand, will have their company's Google app license instantly revoked. The third issue concerns Google's revenue-sharing agreements, which give manufacturers adhering to all these rules a share of the Google search and Google ad revenue that a customer generates. The EU Commission found that the objective of all those restrictions was to protect and strengthen Google's dominant position in relation to general search services and therefore the revenue obtained by Google through search advertisements. While the appeal has only just been shot down, Google's solutions for its issues were already rolled out around the time of the initial ruling. In the EU, Google took a page out of Microsoft's anti-compliance playbook, and Android now shows browser and search engine ballots that let users pick a non-Google option. Google says it used the ad revenue from default Google Apps to fund Android development, and now that these apps don't have to be included, manufacturers can choose to pay for Android directly instead of getting it for free. If manufacturers don't bundle Google Apps, Google will charge as much as $40 per phone in the EU. The EU also forced Google to allow partners to build Android forks without facing retribution from the company. You can now sell Google Play Android and a forked device based on Android next to each other without getting kicked out of the ecosystem. In response to the ruling, a Google spokesperson told ours, We are disappointed that the court did not annul the decision in full. Android has created more choice for everyone, not less, and supports thousands of successful businesses in Europe and around the world. This is Google's second big loss in the EU courts. The company was also fined 2.4 billion euro for bundling Google Shopping with Search and 1.5 billion euro for bundling Search and Advertising. In total, Google has been fined 8.25 billion euro in the EU. The fifth article is by Benji Edwards, published on August 30th, 2022. France reveals hidden swimming pools with AI and taxes them. Using an artificial intelligence computer vision system developed by French IT firm Capgemini, the French tax office, often called DGFIP for short, has identified 20,356 residential swimming pools that had previously gone undeclared. According to The Guardian, this has opened up 10 million euros in additional tax revenue, leading the way to the government taxing other undeclared architectural features such as annexes or verandas. To find undeclared pools, Capgemini's software, with help from Google's cloud processing, automatically recognizes pools in aerial photographs by looking for blue rectangles, for instance, and compares the results to records in real estate and tax databases. If it finds that a relevant address doesn't have a pool registered, the owner is in violation of tax law. The program began last October on a limited basis, covering only 9 out of 96 metropolitan departments. At first, the system confused solar panels for swimming pools with an error rate of 30%, but DGFiP says that it has since increased that accuracy. The French government taxes real estate based on its rental value, which increases when owners build additions or improvements, such as swimming pools. For example, a 30-square-meter swimming pool will result in around 200 euros of extra taxes per year. Private pools have lately become more popular in France due to the recent heat wave, but they're also controversial due to their water usage during a historic drought. French newspaper Le Parisien reports that the project to discover undocumented swimming pools is somewhat controversial, but not for the reasons you might expect. Capgemini, a multinational IT firm with headquarters in Paris, has come under fire for using American tech giant Google as a subcontractor for cloud processing on the project. Google has a long-running history of tax disputes with the French government. Controversies aside, Fit plans to roll out the program nationwide soon, resulting in an estimated €40 billion in additional tax revenue. And that brings us to the end of this week's articles. To learn more about Airs LA and the types of programs we offer, follow us at facebook.com A-I-R-S-L-A. If you like what's there, please hit the like button. Music is provided by Hot Fire. I'm Mike Paul, and I'll be back soon with more stories from Ars Technica. Thanks for listening.